All right, welcome. I'm here with Gary Russo. Gary, how are you? I am doing awesome, Al. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for joining me. We've been talking about doing this for a while. I've been following your work. You've been a leader in the space for more than a decade. And so I'm honored that you're here to share on this topic. And, you know, HR system transformation always happening. What is the role of people analytics? So if you would, please introduce yourself and a little bit about the topic. Uh, my pleasure. And also, just first off, um, it's been way too long. So, you know, this is, um, you know, we, we may have been planning this for what, a couple of weeks because everything is so busy. So just awesome to be here. And, you know, those in the chat, thank you so much for hanging out. I'm Gary Russo. Um, I lead the workforce intelligence team at Providence Health. And a little bit about our company. We are a healthcare system. We have about 120,000 employed caregivers. We uh, serve millions of patients every year. And we are positioned mostly along the West Coast of the United States. And unsurprisingly, with you know 50 something hospitals and medical groups and everything else, it, we keep busy, especially in you know a combination of these hard times. Me, myself, um, I have a PhD in molecular biology and neuroscience. And I thought one day, well, gee, I'd like a real challenge. And I came over to HR. And um, I, I love to say that it really is much more of a challenge because, um, you know, people are probably the most complex thing we can ever encounter. And I love it. So I started in research science and statistics and really asking no answer, which means I have felt right at home in HR. And I'm sure you do too, for better or worse in many days. Uh, overall, I love building foundations. I love uh, working not only in people analytics, so bringing data to help decisions being made better or faster, but also planning, making sure that what we're doing today actually still matters in six months or five years. Yeah, I awesome positioning. I you know because you uh, here's where I want to go with this. I want to pick up on workforce intelligence. Uh, you talk about people analytics. We talk about workforce planning. There's a bunch of naming conventions out there. Why workforce intelligence for you? So I gravitated toward workforce intelligence for two main reasons. Um, first, I don't know that it's necessarily people that I particularly would say I analyze or, or focus on first. I have always gravitated toward what are the workflows, the processes, the, the employer-employee relationship that can be actually moved and acted on to make things better, not only for the people doing the work, but also for the organization. Um, I fell in love with HR and stuck with it. My, my big first project that really sticks with me forever is, you know, the, the best tool in the world, right? Excel, um, proving that you could bring 50 something more nurses into a hospital, take care of patients the same day and save money, right? So it's really about the workforce. What can we do in this big system of, of cogs and people? versus let us study the individual, because in my mind, that's much more psychology um, and not my background, not my strength. Wow. The other part about it is intelligence. It really isn't about providing the answer. It really is about learning this, because I think as we've all seen the, the swirl over time, there, we haven't solved it. There is no right answer. It's just growing smarter about it. Yeah, I, I love your perspective. And I 
love the fact that you're speaking to the value being delivered as opposed to the process by which that value is is generated. Uh, I found analytics to be intimidating and oftentimes esoteric to people. But when you're talking about insight or intelligence, it's okay, I get that. I want that. You know, it's a product that, you know, I have an appetite mm -hmm. for. So going back, you know, I, we have a visual that we're going to pull up here in, in a minute, but speak to this workforce uh, system, HR transformation um, yes. with the system perspective and the role of people analytics specifically. Can you speak to when you got involved? Were you there at the outset or is it downstream and you had to intervene and say, pick me? You know, what was it like and what was the impetus for you getting involved? So I, I think the impetus is honestly the moment that you touch a system. So myself, a lot of people I work with, a lot of people in an analytics space, right? We, we have a, a drive and in many cases, a career on taking something basic and, you know, pulling something new out of it. So because of that, the moment you get into a system, it involves you. You are not only a stakeholder, but you are also, and I am also positioned as a more or less an expert. I am looking at data in a brand new way in many cases, oftentimes a way that the system never got designed. So if we're really building value for the first time, if we're really trying to do something new, who better and who else to have that opinion? I I can crawl through the screen and hug you for saying that because <laughs> you know, and just for context, you're going back 20 years now when I first started in the field, I was unknowingly merely a customer of the data that was being created. I was not involved in identifying appropriate data to answer the questions that leaders wanted or need to know. And so fast forward, I love the fact that you are involved in helping, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, identify the systems that are most appropriate, the processes that are appropriate to generate the data that is appropriate to generate the insights that right. leaders want and need. So uh, of course, that's my own narrative on that. Now, did you have to uh, invite yourself into that process? Were you, you know, you've been at Providence for a while. I imagine you built up the relationship, equity, and trust that is required to be at that decision-making table. How did that evolve? So it's very organic. And I think that the word trust is probably the most important one. So for example, um, when I first started with Providence or even you know prior employers, it was really about being a sponge. It was about hearing and learning. So when someone asked the question, what system are we talking about? I have no idea. I love to, I, I joke that my, um, you know, the reality is when I joined Providence week one, I was asked to join a, hey, can you help us understand our like five, 10 year long range financial plan? I'm like, awesome, I will try to log in, right? So it's really, you start very fresh and it's often important to hear where things are. That said, when you start to feel the pain points, when you start to actually feel them yourself and those of others, by nature of being in a consultative role, by be, in nature of being in a, let me hear your problems, let me address them, and let me actually be nosy. And then the new phrase is like, if you involve us, if you involve me, I'm gonna be nosy, that's kind of part of the deal. And in, eventually, as you share the pain, if you say, you know, it didn't have to be that way, what if, 
the, the real switch is when there have been chances to have that transformation. Oh, we're going to adjust this process. We're going to adjust the system because we can't take it anymore. Or there's something has to sunset. And because you've built those relationships and trust, it's the same conversation of, well, we're here. Could we fix this that everyone is suffering? Can we, can we try that? And it starts small, right? It just starts fixing a little bit of pain, making one decision. Gee, have you thought about connecting this to that because that was a problem? And then it grows, right? Because now there's value. There's a, wow, we maybe wouldn't have made that decision, but we did and we love it. And being very planful and mindful. And it's not a surprise. It's just kind of final on that. It's not a surprise. I think that every time there's a big system change, there's a lot of work, especially these days, of we don't want to lift it and shift it. We want to make it better. So mm -hmm. it's not that there is this great decision-making table and it's being invited. It is that everyone is always trying to make the best decision. And because there's a new perspective, it's simply an additional seat. Wow. Uh, yeah, great framing. And uh, yeah, it is the case where, you know, this is always going to be happening, right? So yes. yeah, being taking an iterative approach and building that trust, you know, I certainly celebrate. Now, we have a graphic that I'm going to pull up. If you can walk us through it and why yeah. this provides context and value to your thinking uh, in this process of HR system transformation. Please. Um, this is thank you for giving me a chance to walk through this because it's a little bit much and it's it's tangential. I want to make sure this is really a conversation about what we're trying to do with our HR systems, but also as an organization. So this has nothing to do with an, a specific system. I was I was kind of mulling over what I might use as a backdrop, and it was really let's talk about human capital. Right. So it's more about the tasks that we ask people to do and the processes of which we help get them paid and help make them have the best experience possible in the organization. But what does that really do? So if you speak to finance, um, you will see focus on the blue dotted line at the very top. This is an arbitrary thing that no one can seem to agree on in bulk. There's a certain amount of hours, a certain amount of work needed to do something, whether that is generate a new meme or take care of a patient or you know make sure the engine in the new car is working. There's some amount of work. We as a as an employer or as HR, we often use our in case of Providence caregivers or employees as a kind of a vehicle to get toward producing that work. If everything works awesome, then there's enough to pay our employees, give them a happy and thriving life, and enough extra money to keep the whole business you know, with the doors open. If it falls apart, if there's all the work in the world and no one doing it, we just call that an idea. And if there is a whole bunch of expense, if we brought in a whole bunch of employees and nothing is getting done, then we close the business, right? There, there, there has to be a balance. So we always seek this perfect or ideal or at least enough proper amount of people. Well, in any sort of system, whether you go back 160 um, odd years where um, our own Providence system was founded, where you might have people on a scroll saying, yep, they showed up today and they did some work, or now with these expansive global systems, it's all about who is supposed to be doing work for us? What agreements have we made? Did they actually do that work? 
And then past that, where analytics is getting its kind of uh, renaissance here, how do we optimize that? How do we make sure that we have more money to keep the doors open and also maybe provide more benefits, more wages, you know, address all of the workforce things? So that's more of positioning just kind of the problem that we face that we wouldn't put the maybe the system conversation in context of. You know, I want to pick up on several points here. And if I didn't say it explicitly at the outset, if you're uh, tuning in today, please ask your questions and provide comments. And we'll get to as many as we can. And if we aren't able to get to them, we'll uh, either Gary or myself will follow up. Uh, FTE leakage. And we talk yes. about uh, capacity of what people can actually do. And there's a lot of talk around skills and rightly so. At the same time, we're all constrained and you're in hospitals and, and, and healthcare. And you also mentioned the word optimization. So can you speak to FTE leakage in relation to yeah. optimization? Yep. So FTE leakage on a small scale looks like someone calling in two hours before a shift starts because they woke up violently ill. You know, leakage looks like something else happened like jury duty. And for some reason, there wasn't a proper plan put in place to adapt for that. There is even going more toward the modern concept of skills and job design and the HR realm. Hey, we've got someone with, you know, a nuclear science PhD, and we're asking them to sling burgers. And is that really the best bang for our buck, the value we could generate given that person's skill set? Um, oh, um, with HR systems, we have 35 different portals that someone has to access across their experience. They occupy two hours a day just clicking the buttons to get to the portals. Maybe we could have done something with a customer for those two hours. Like it's those sort of conversations of we really think we need 10, we don't have 10, or if we really kind of thought about it, we can do nine and still have the best kind of outcome for everyone. You know, and so that is a good segue into Cole's question here around productivity. Cole, thank you for being here. Appreciate you. Because uh, when we talk about, again, capacity, FTE leakage, people can only do so much. Uh, you know, what are they going to produce? What value are they going to deliver during a certain period of time? So are you measuring productivity? And if so, how? And is it difficult? So I think any large organization will try to measure productivity. And it, I think that it depends is maybe best suited to ask the, answer the question of how is it measured? So I, I've had the luxury. So I, when I was baby HR, I was sitting down the hallway from finance and made friends and learned the basics of budgeting you know, through those experiences. And I've had that continued sought out those partnerships throughout and the, the productivity discussion you know listening with the experts once again there's no answer just like how do you fix turnover there's no individual answer so what you find is that you can measure it and it's very specific our clinical caregivers are much more let's say direct um, we can see how much work it took to take care of a patient and there's hundreds of factors that go into what that might take some of them are controllable some of them not we have some, is it a number of people? If we're a fixed department, if you're, if you're an accounting department or HR, is it not really variable on how many people show up in that day? But is it more like we think that there's a minimum service um, ratio that we really do want to have? You know, what, what is that HR business partner ratio? So there are dozens of ways 
to do this. And you know, the idea, is there a right answer? Not yet, who knows, maybe one day. But do we try to measure it? Yes. Um, my thought on it from a modern HR and to keep this conversation a little bit spicy, we have a lot of new tools coming out saying we can measure productivity for you, especially in a virtual setting. Um, I think what made the headline recently is we can, you know, big firm, we can look at the use of apps and say, is that, you know, how is that being productive? Which, you know, my perspective, and I encourage, you know, hi chat, but I encourage everyone to think about is, are these measures of productivity something that we have encouraged our business to do? You know, if, if I'm being asked, how productive am I? And I say, I have spent 30 hours making this lovely, this lovely chart. Was that good? Like, it, I mean, I was, I was toiling, but was that productive? And it really does depend. So probably a, a really long-winded way of saying we do our best, but it is a, an ongoing, you know, evolutionary thing. Now, thank you for qualifying that in the way that you did, because it, it invites the question priorities. And when you're talking about a nurse or, something, you know, you're not next to them, you know, seeing how they're prioritizing. So what might be productive from a certain outcome perspective might not really reflect the value that they delivered, um, you know, across the board. So uh, here, there's another question that came in and you touched on it when you talk about apps. So what data are you using, not only across the employee lifecycle, but operational data to shed light on the dynamics? And are, you know, we talk going back to the notion of capacity and right-sizing the workforce. So you see the question here at the bottom of your screen. Uh, can you speak to what other data that you're using? So and how you're handling so, privacy and anonymity and confidentiality, if that's just- I love that. That's, yeah. That, that, I mean, isn't that the core of the question, right? This is HR systems and data, and this is that's the core because we're dealing with people, right? So I my, my typical position is I want everything. Um, everyone, I think it's an ongoing thing of, oh, do you have that? I would love that. Maybe we don't need to prioritize it because you're telling me it's hard. We need it. And the reason for that is that the, the questions we get, you know, if someone comes in and says, I want to know the active people on our roster, okay. That is a report that lives in one system, hopefully, but you know, minimum systems. If you get the question, I want to know if, if the type of onboarding that we did has resulted in people having a better experience and you know, lasting more than a year as, as an employee. Oh no, that, that definitely doesn't live in one place in most circumstances. So we, do use almost everything because people and business problems are complicated. Um, finance information, payroll information is almost more critical to certain stakeholders, like people trying to run the business, keep the doors open. Providing people context with a focus on the spend is more important than if you were going with a more person experience focused lens. So yes to everything, but HR data alone, looking at turnover data in a new way. Um, I've got some old you know, materials that if, if chat, you know, gets excited about it, I'll make sure I share it on my page again. But looking at turnover data, looking at, you know, one other piece, where were they in the comp, you know, the compa ratio, where were they positioned in pay, looking at it in a slightly different way, you can start to actually assess, hey, is, is this pay itself a really strong driver of someone leaving? Because you never can get the perfect answer. 
but you will get a sense of, wow, there's a huge difference. And this matters a whole lot more to focus on and ask those questions. That's only HR data. Right. But then you add more. And then right. I do want to pause and just say confidentiality, security. Um, I'm usually the one raising my hand saying, that's super creepy. Do we need to do that? Because once again, if not us, who? Um, right. at this at this level, like go ask people on the street, just take 20 minutes, ask them about what they feel about AI in the workplace. You will get an answer that I will, I will, I'll save the surprise if you don't know how that's going to go. But, you know, if not us, then who in these conversations? So when it comes to confidentiality and everything else, it really is about, do we really need to know the person or do we need to understand the role that they are playing, what the work environment is, what they tend to get paid on average, are there disconnects? And then also and back into why workforce, not people. Hmm. What have we done in an employer to foster good or that are getting in the way of that good? Well, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely love that. I mean, it just obviously speaks to ethics and also to your point, like we understand the nature of the analytical techniques that we're employing, the reports that we're generating. So there needs to be some guardrails documented, communicated, and you know have the the ability to say no. So you know I could we could do a whole segment on the governance around that and what that looks like. But I want to segue to uh, Dan's question. Dan, th thank you uh, for being here. Uh, do you use uh, customer patient data as well, and how do you integrate that with mm. HR data. You know, that's that was um, not only just customer, like patient data, but customer data. If you're in sales, if you're in everything, right? Like who, the actual experience of your end result, you know, the thing you want to make happy, which is your user base, your customers. Um, it was the first thing on the chart of we want to connect this. And it might be one of the last things that we fully feel like we're comfortable having done. And a lot of that has to do with thinking about systems, customers or patients, not only are they a whole huge group that we have very little information on in general, but we don't have the, the convenience of something like, oh, you know, they have an employee key, employee ID, they work in a department. So we have started with the idea of aggregates, you know, how many, I mean, frankly, in performance, how many patients showed up and how many people did it take for us to provide that care? That is patient data in many ways. And it not has, it doesn't have to do with the patient. We don't really need to know why they came in. We simply need to know if they had a good outcome and what it took to get them healthy and back, you know, out of our facility. Same idea applies. We don't necessarily need to go into the individual patient, just so we don't have to go into the individual, you know, employee. But we do need outcomes. We do need to know, you know, generally this organization, this section has really, you know, let's say under, be, be lower than average um, satisfaction scores. Something bad happened. What can we learn about that? Is, wow, there's like a lot of overtime. Why, what's the deal with that? Is that related? So we're, we're starting with trends. We're starting with let's tie those higher level metrics together that are already being tracked by the organization. Your sales team has sales funnels and retention. You know, product knows who's actually building things. And it's just tying in and saying, hey, you know, people interact with all of this. People are part of this. So let's ask about what's going on with the people and are there differences in how we approach those systems to get to those results? And then how, what's that lever that we might see and research more? 
Right. Yeah. As we start to wrap, we got probably five minutes. And um, what I want to talk about it, I'm going to just highlight the chart again real Mm -hmm. quick, uh, because as I look at this, I think of and this is language that I use continuous work transformation, like work Mm -hmm. is always shifting and moving. And here you're highlighting how work can get done. You know, you talk about overtime, you have you know the idea of gig workers or, you know, so the pointed question is this, when you talk about the governance, who is in the room actually making th- these decisions, taking appropriate mm-hmm. action, consuming the insight that you're generating, I get the vision of a quarterly meeting with the boardroom table and, you know, 20 people at that, you know, listening and, and getting on the same page and going off and doing their thing. Is that how it works for you? Or is it a, a different model where it's more bespoke and that you're dealing with stakeholders on an individual basis? Because correct me if I'm wrong, this relates to operations, uh, facilities, sure. uh, t- uh, IT, uh, and, and so not only HR. So can you speak to that governance? Sure. And I, I'll speak more bro- more broadly as opposed to speaking directly to like exactly how um, Providence does it. But the spirit is very similar. You know, I think there's always, I mean, one of the pillars of my own team is making sure we start with that strategic relationship. How are we closest to the, essentially the direction of the business? Where do we want to be in five years? What is that overriding? This is our place. We're carving this place in the market. Those quarterly meetings, those annual uh, meetings, those five-year plans, those direct us that our choices as an organization are going the right way, are in the spirit of what we want to be as an organization and as a member of communities. Past that, almost, I mean, go anywhere, whether you're, you know, military or public or private, then the decisions get made day to day, frontline, right? The analyst has to be the one plugging in the right numbers to make sure that metric gets piped and that the data, you know, the person keying the data has to make sure it's clean and someone's overseeing that. So it's it's twofold. There's a both a top down of what direction are we heading? What do we prioritize? What is our messaging? And what do we need to make sure that we are being respectful of? And um, side nod, if people are working for those major things, make sure that you aren't asking to do more work on something unrelated because it's not going to get done. Very practical. But guide there. But day to day, it's building those relationships. It's having the, the continued conversation of we do need this to change because that's going to support us. It's causing problems. It's time to change. What can we do now? You know, this one tweak that's very easy in the moment builds toward that goal. So it is both at the same time. Well, it's as we wrap, I mean, because there's a whole host of questions that are coming to mind, you know, based on that. Um, are you uh, facilitating those meetings based on the data that you have? Because it's kind of your quote unquote owning the data. So are you guiding the narrative or are you listening to what is being said and then going off and generating insight? towards uh that will you believe that will add value what does that look like i i would be wildly uncomfortable if i or any individual team was making unilateral decisions on these sorts of things Mm -hmm. i feel most comfortable and has been most successful in a conversation where there are many leaders of you know who care and are knowledgeable doing this together and, and finding those communal lenses We've had a big HR systems transformation recently, and the conversations we're up to and including, remember those things we could never measure for three years? I'm going to remind you of that because that's my role. 
and let's all discuss how that's going to play out and what can we get to. And it's really, I mean, when we say people sitting around a table, it has to be that. And, you know, parking back to story time, it really should be around one while you're at it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that notion of common lens. It's going to stick with me. So, hey, Gary, thank you for being your awesome self and, and sharing. How can people learn more about you and what you're up to? Hey, you know what? Um, I'm all over LinkedIn and that just basically means I show up. So please join me there and I'll probably be in the comments bugging people. Um, follow me. If anything stuck out, we'll try to review the questions. I will um, work to address them afterward because this is just so awesome and I get so passionate about this. So just hang out on LinkedIn and we'll go from there. All right, Gary. Well, thank you again for joining. Thank you for uh, attending and listening and participating. Uh, if you viewed and tuned in this morning, uh, Gary, you be well and I hope to see you in person before too long. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Al. Thanks everyone in the chat. Really appreciate it. All right.